Imagine not knowing what your income would be each week. Financial planning would be a nightmare. Almost 90% of Vision's income is free will donations. When supporters commit to monthly giving, it provides greater certainty when budgeting for regular expenses and weighing up new opportunities that arise. Knowing we can rely on regular gifts each month takes some of the guesswork out of operating a faith ministry. Monthly givers who share our mission are called Visionary Extra Mile Partners. And right now, you're invited to join this growing group of faithful supporters. The amount of your tax-deductible monthly gift is completely up to you. What is most important is knowing that you are standing with us to reach Australia for the gospel. Click the banner at vision.org.au or in the Vision app to find out more about becoming a Visionary Extra Mile Partner. It only takes a few minutes, but will have an eternal impact. Vision. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Martin Isles, who's the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby, who is back with us for a Monday catch-up. Hello, Martin. Welcome back to 2020. G'day, Neil. Good to be with you again. Martin, I might, if we've got a bit of time, uh, get some thoughts from you because people will know the Australian Christian Lobby uh, played the huge key role in that whole uh, marriage defence late last year. But there's lots and lots of issues that I want to run by you. Uh, Starting, first of all, of course, the Prime Minister, Malcolm Turnbull, visited Tennant Creek in the Northern Territory yesterday and concerned about the welfare of families and children in the Northern Territory. Did you have some thoughts on his visit to the Territory? Well, I think it's a good thing, Neil. Um, So it's the first Prime Ministerial visit to Tennant Creek uh, since 1982, I understand, when Malcolm Fraser went. Um, And uh, I was reading up on on what the Prime Minister had said about the visit um, over the weekend, and, and he said that he was there to listen uh, and he was there to gather information as best that he could about the social conditions in Tennant Creek. And um, as listeners may know, there's been some you know, pretty high-profile disasters in Tennant Creek, Tennant Creek around child welfare. Um, there's been a lot of um, sexual abuse. There's been substance abuse. There's a lot of family dysfunction, domestic violence. Um, it's a community that's really been in a lot of trouble. Um, and uh, look, like so many um, dysfunctional communities, um, they can take a very, very long time to turn around and the process of turning them around is always exceedingly difficult and complicated. Um, and I just always find, though, that in, in difficult situations, particularly in difficult policy situations, there's always some smart people on the ground who know what works, uh, who are practical, who are hands-on. So I like the fact that the Prime Minister has gone there and has been listening to those who are working hard on a lot of practical things like getting kids off the streets at night and doing domestic uh, violence-related work and things like that. Um, And he's listening. And so that's a great thing. The the thing now is, you know, will it be followed up with with some action? And I I do think that in relation to these communities, particularly um, particularly because of the welfare of children, um, the government should really act without fear or favour and should just throw resources where they're needed and do what's necessary uh, and not worry about bureaucracy and not worry about um, accusations of paternalism and things like that because there's kids' lives at stake. 
Uh, lots more to be said on that, but so much to cover today. Let's move on. Uh, the very, very controversial identity, Lauren Southern. Uh, she's faced protesters uh, in Victoria, quite violent uh, protests, and uh, she's got some other meetings planned around the nation too. Uh, Lauren Southern, described as uh, the alt-right pin-up girl, 23-year-old Canadian. Uh, what are your thoughts on her visit to Australia? Well, I think um, I'm no alt-writer, Neil, so uh, I'm, not, I'm not somebody who is uh, into the alt-right. I think that they, um, they do uh, the wrong thing in playing into what we call identity politics, uh, where they, they, they take on this whole uh, tribal warfare thing, you know, whites against blacks and gays against straights and things like that. They enter a little bit too much into that paradigm, uh, and therefore they have a very combative uh, and a very hard-edged rhetoric uh, approach to them. Um, however, uh, Lauren Southern's visit was completely peaceful. Um, she is not a violent person, uh, and it really was uh, for her to come here and to talk about her ideas uh, and to discuss Western culture and particularly to discuss some of the concerns of political correctness and what we often call cultural Marxism, which are emerging. What are they? How do they manifest? And, and, and how do they shut down free speech and to talk about free speech? So these are all very legitimate topics to be discussed, whether you agree with the way she does it or what she does or not. And look, those, I have absolutely no objections whatsoever to, to her visit um, at all. But the astonishing thing is that uh, there were some really badly behaved um, uh, left-wing and anarchist groups in Melbourne who violently protested her event. And we saw the images there of one of them storming the stage and trying to uh, get to Lauren herself, but was stopped by security. Uh, and the riot police were out in their riot gear and all the rest of it. It's, look, it's, it's something that happens from time to time in Melbourne because there are a lot of radicals uh, like of that mind down there. But the incredible thing is that because of these badly behaved locals, the police essentially um, uh, partly blamed Lauren Southern and her people for for what happened and also threatened to punish them by charging them nearly $70,000 uh, for the services of the Victoria Police. Uh, and that threat to charge her uh, was made before she arrived, almost as a deterrent to try and stop her from coming. Uh, and then when she did come and then all of those violent scenes took place, the police actually cast uh, their work on the evening as, you know, essentially wasting a Friday night uh, to, as the, uh, as the police officer said, mediate um, between two groups of opposing views, which, which completely misrepresents what happened. Um, there was no uh, need for the police resources to be deployed to control anyone from Lauren Southern's uh, uh, crew or from, from the audience. They were actually there to stop badly behaved left-wing and anarchist protesters, uh, and they should have said that. Uh, and I just find that the ideological... Um, the infiltration of an ideological way of thinking into the police work is really, really concerning. It's something that we've discerned a little bit at ACL. Uh, we've had a couple of recent events down there where there were, you know, pretty nasty protests, um, and it's very intimidating. It's not nice for people who attend uh, and found the police to be pretty unhelpful, frankly, um, and were very, very disappointed and actually walked away uh, from those events with, with a deep sense of concern. Uh, that there was an ideological uh, bent uh, that had moved into the policing service. It's a real worry. It's something that deeply, deeply concerns me. Uh, I can hear you saying that somehow, rather, there's an issue here when police take a position of appeasement uh, 
to the idea of uh, of uh, left-wing standover intimidation tactics that are threatened mm. ahead of someone comes uh, who who comes to to make a uh, a public uh, appearance and mm. and yet you've got the police taking a, a left-wing side is that what you're saying look almost the police are refusing to blame those who are actually responsible um that's what they're doing and those who are actually responsible are the left-wing and anarchist protesters uh, that come out in great strength in Melbourne and behave really badly. Um, and by not naming the problem for what it is, they are not discouraging it in the future. Uh, and by not naming the problem for what it is, they're not being transparent about, about justice, essentially, who's in the right and who's in the wrong. Uh, let's come back to Lauren Southern for a few moments because when someone stands for uh, the things that she does, uh, anti-Islamic, anti-feminist, anti-mass media, anti-multiculturalism, and of course that gets her the uh, title uh, alt-right pin-up girl, uh, but then there are a lot of Christians who will say, well, a lot of those things strike a chord with the way that you might formulate a Christian position on a lot of the political issues that go on, and, and uh, refresh to hear that right up front you say Christians are not alt-right. I wonder whether you know anything about her faith because I know she was asked whether she was a Christian in uh, one report that I was reading and her response was that she was still searching. Uh, do you know if there are Christian connections in the, the ways that her views have been formed, Martin? Look, I don't, Neil. Um, all I would say is that because um, people with her views are uh, tend to say a number of things that uh, the Christian community agrees with at the surface, uh, they tend to get a lot of Christian support. Um, and, you know, that's a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, you, you, you take people as they are with, with, with uh, the bits that they're right about and the bits that they're wrong about. Um, I don't think we should confuse um, an alt-right perspective with a Christian perspective. Um, uh, as I said earlier, it, it does actually buy into a sort of a tribal warfare kind of mindset, um, and it can be very uh, rough around the edges. Um, but, uh, you know, part of that is also the way that she's cast. Um, you know, the media put her, her views as anti-this and anti-that, and, um, and, and, you know, that's the way we're expressing them now. But there's a little bit of a, um, there's a, little bit of a, a sense or a hint in that kind of language that she's, she's, she's a very angry and combative kind of person. I mean, you could equally say that she's, you know, pro-free speech, pro-freedoms, pro-Western culture, uh, you know, things like that. So, um, you know, I think a lot of it is in the framing of who she is. And I would just say to people, look, um, go along to some of these events, listen to some of these people on YouTube, uh, hear what they have to say, uh, and see for yourself without the lens of the media covering uh, what they may or may not be like. And I actually find her to be quite personable. Uh, I find her to be uh, sensible a lot of the time. Um, and uh, But no, not Christian. She certainly knows how to get a headline. I read one report uh, three days before uh, her event in Victoria. Uh, she was scheduled to speak at that secret uh, location in Melbourne. Uh, well, she took to the streets with a microphone to ask people, should we kill Lauren Southern? Yes. Now, while she immersed herself in the irony that nobody knew who she was, she posted a clip on social media, and I haven't seen it, but revealing how many people said yes. Things yeah. like push her under a tram, uh, use yeah. a lethal injection, or hang her upside down. I mean, yep. uh, she knows how to get the headlines, doesn't she? 
Yeah, she does. Look, she's a very clever operator, actually, and a lot of what she does is is, is calculated around um, increasing publicity and therefore increasing her platform, which of course has you know good effects because it means that she's able to speak out more and more, and she gets a bigger following. Um, and she's very, very good at doing that. And her social media use is great. And I've actually seen the video that you mentioned where she walks around Melbourne because there's these po- pro- uh, posters up on light poles and things saying, you know, join this anti-fascist protest against Lauren Southern. So she walks up to people and says, should we kill Lauren Southern? And puts the microphone in their face. And they've got all these opinions about, you know, as you said, some of them say, of course we should. Others say, well, we shouldn't kill her, but we should shut her down, blah, blah. And she's sitting there looking at the camera sort of with this uh, irony on her face saying, you know, they, they have all these opinions about me, but they don't even know what I look like. <laughs> so, you know, it's quite funny in that sense. This is why I encourage people to open their minds and go and see her for themselves. Well, the tour dates are secret, and I don't necessarily want to be promoting the tour as such, but uh, there is other uh, dates that she has around the country, and, and uh, there will be some listeners, as you say, rightly or wrongly, will be saying... Uh, you know, should I go along? Should I support this woman? Should I hear her views? Perhaps certainly understanding her views would be very, very important. Let's move on. Uh, one more issue to run by you, and that is, of course, a huge ethical issue that is uh, really unfolding now in the state of Queensland, where the Queensland Law Reform Commission report into abortion uh, is released, and uh, there's potential for a vote on that in the Queensland Parliament in October. What are your, uh, is there a special Australian Christian lobby position on what's been going on, Martin? Well, look, the bill that's being voted on or the bill that's been recommended is one where it allows abortion on demand up to 22 weeks um, and after, which is you know, a fair way along. And after 22 weeks, you only need to consult one other doctor. Uh, in order to get permission. And there's even situations in that bill where you can't, as a doctor, conscientiously object to performing an abortion, for example, if you're in a rural area, um, things like that. So very anti-freedom in that regard. There's also exclusion zones where you can't communicate about abortion uh, near an abortion clinic, which, of course, stops sidewalk counsellors from you know, asking women if they need help. And I just think that, look, I would that abortion was, was illegal, um, uh, but I think that even if you're somebody who, is, who has a, a different view, uh, surely we can see that actually the, the law is ideologically biased because it doesn't take into account the complexities around abortion. Um, we know now, and we can talk to one of our legal clients that's going to be in the High Court this year, a sidewalk counsellor called Kathy Club, who stands, stood on the sidewalk for a long time uh, trying to counsel women and ask them you know, if she could help them. Um, and she found out that women had all kinds of circumstances that they could be in. Uh, they could be struggling with, uh, with, with domestic violence. Uh, they could be getting coerced. And we've seen some high-profile stories about coercion of women in relation to abortion, uh, particularly in the sporting world. Uh, they could be all alone and just need friendship and counselling and need practical support and things like that. Um, and this bill does not allow counsellors, uh, does not provide for counselling to discern where those are actually an issue. We know that post-abortion grief is a problem. You know, it's so complicated. We know that children, unborn children feel pain, um, you know, at the time that abortion is permitted here. And I just think that even if you are indifferent towards abortion, it's clear that this is an ideologically biased law to allow abortion at all costs and to stop people from counselling against abortion. And that's most apparent in the in the exclusion zones element of the, of the bill. And look, um, I think that we should follow how oh, I think that Europe give a better uh, option where they actually if people will be surprised that in countries like Belgium, the Netherlands, Germany, France there's cooling off periods uh, 
it is more very difficult to get an abortion after 12 weeks. Uh, there's compulsory mandated counselling, things like that. I'd love to see some of those changes. Um, but look, that's my take on those laws, uh, and therefore I think that it should be that the bill should be rejected out of hand. And no doubt we'll be talking a lot about that as it unfolds and in the lead up to October, uh, making sure that listeners are informed and certainly bringing a Christian perspective on what all of those things mean. Uh, before I let you go, Martin, of course, lots of eyes will be on what is being called Super Saturday. Uh, there's quite a number, five by-elections. Four of those are around uh, issues uh, to do with uh, citizenship, the citizenship crisis that uh, gripped our parliament. Uh, there's five of those coming up this Saturday. There's some that are more contentious or closer than others. Uh, one of those, uh, the Longman by-election in the state of Queensland, the LNP's on track to win that. It'd be quite historic if that was the case. Uh, what have you been up to so far as uh, uh, lobbying and those sorts of issues around the uh, the uh, the by-elections this weekend? Well, we've been sending out information, uh, particularly in Longman, to voters, uh, particularly on the gender issues uh, around, uh, you know, safe schools, things like that, which are promoted by, at the moment in that seat, Labor and the Greens, uh, but are opposed by every single other candidate, which is quite a, a who's who lineup of candidates. So uh, Labor and the Greens are being a little bit marginalised on that issue, that's for sure. Uh, they stand alone as people who think that uh, gender theory, queer theory, uh, safe schools, that kind of thing should be taught to young children. Uh, which, of course, we know is is a really is really destructive and confusing. Um, and we had a Meet Your Candidate forum where uh, all the candidates came along or a, a number of candidates came along and consulted with the Christian constituency and took questions, and that difference became very clear uh, once again. And there's a possibility, I suppose, that the government could win that seat off Labor, uh, but that would be unusual um, because it's been nearly 100 years since the sitting government won a seat off, an op- off the opposition in a by-election. Um, and so it would be historic. The media's talking it up a bit, but you would have seen Malcolm Turnbull was out over the weekend really hosing that down and saying, look, please don't have high expectations. It's an uphill battle. And that's because um, uh, there's actually been some, some polling done by the Liberal Party, which shows uh, that, that, that Trevor Ruttenberg, the, um, the, the coalition or the LNP candidate, is, is actually behind. So there's a conflict in the polls. Who knows, but it would be historic, um, really historic, uh, if the government won. And, and who knows, given the, the grassroots discussion, it's not in the media, but the grassroots discussion around the gender issue may be a warning shot for people who, or parties who promote that stuff into the future and all eyes on Victoria later this year in that regard, where this is a particularly hot issue. Uh, there are elections uh, being planned all around us. Uh, it could become confusing. Uh, just to mention, too, out of those five uh, by-elections this weekend, another close one is Braddon in hmm. Tasmania. But come back to this Queensland one just for a moment, because I know, as listeners will be aware, the Australian Christian Lobby runs Meet Your Candidate forums, and you've done a, a number of those uh, uh, over the uh, lead-up to some of these by-elections, Martin. Uh, the one that you did have in Queensland, though, I'm interested in a particular question uh, that you ask or that parents asked of the candidates, and you had all the candidates uh, lined up there, uh, asked if they believe that parents should have the right to teach their children a biological and traditional understanding of gender. Mm. And uh, I wonder whether you're able to reflect on what the responses of the candidates were. Well, all of the candidates uh, said that they should. 
Um, and uh, it, that was the, the two candidates that didn't come were Labor and the Greens, um, which was a shame because usually we do get a full spectrum of candidates at those forums, uh, but Labor and the Greens didn't turn up. So we didn't have an opinion from, from either of those candidates, uh, but all of the others, whether it be the One Nation or the LNP or the various others that were there, um, they all agreed that parents should be able to teach their children a biological understanding of gender. And I actually think that reflects community sentiment. I think that reflects where the average Australian is at in their mind. Um, the, the, the gender theory and transgender um, uh, teaching is really coming from an activist, a political activist part of the community. Um, and that's why I think there's definitely sufficient people power to stop it. Um, and that's something that ACL will be working on quite a bit in the next few months. Uh, so watch this space. Uh, well, so many issues, important issues, and uh, Martin Isles, the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby, uh, thank you so much for an update on those today. And just to mention that over this next hour, we're going to be talking about issues uh, which have begun to unfold over this past week where there's been what some would say is uh, like a, a bit of a breach that's come from the Uniting Church uh, with their decision to allow ministers to conduct same-sex marriages. And uh, that conversation is coming uh, over this next hour. Uh, Martin, you won't be staying with us for that one, but I wonder whether you've got a, a quick uh, insight into what your own reflection might have been so far as uh, that decision from the Uniting Church. I think it's I think it's tragic, really. Um, it's terrible because we know what what Scripture says, and we know what the church has always believed. And so, the Uniting Church really is the first cab off the rank, I suppose, to capitulate to the new law. Um, and the concern I have is the permission structure that that creates for perhaps others to follow, uh, or it will be used as a tool in arguments in in other denominations where there's division about about the belief on this stuff. And that that's what it is in the Uniting Church. It was a division. Uh, and so they've divided the church in two, essentially, those who want to perform the same-sex weddings and those who don't. So I think it sets a really uh, worrying precedent. The other side of it, though, is a legal one. Uh, under the current the New Marriage Act, uh, if you're a minister of religion, you can dissent, you can object to performing same-sex marriages. But I think that what the Uniting Church has done definitely makes it more difficult for a minister of religion to prove that their genuine religious conviction is against same-sex marriage, particularly if they're a Uniting Church minister. Uh, that means, I think, in the Uniting Church that you're going to struggle to prove that uh, you have a right not to marry same-sex couples because your denomination no longer believes that there's a problem with same-sex marriage. And legally, that makes a big difference. Um, and also, it could have a very small effect uh, on, on the law around other ministers as well. It just makes it a little harder for them to prove that they're not only a Christian, but they are a Christian who objects to same-sex marriage. They'll have to prove that in court, and this is sort of one of those evidence points uh, which could stack up against them. So it does create legal changes and cultural changes and changes in the church, which I find very concerning, and I think we should pray uh, that others don't follow. Well, for listeners, uh, we are going to... Uh take a little break in just a few moments but then we'll be joined by Damien Wilde who leads the Australian Family Coalition and uh, listeners may remember Damien Wilde was the CEO of the Marriage Alliance uh, that uh, was leading the defence of marriage between a man and a woman uh, late last year. 
Um, Martin Niles, just great getting your insights today on so many of those different issues. Uh, no doubt we'll be perhaps talking about some of these sorts of issues again with you in the uh, times uh, coming as well. But thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts with us today. Pointing people to the Australian Christian Lobby website, acl.org.au. Martin, thanks for being with us again on 2020. Thanks, Neil. Always a pleasure. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.